Welcome to Healthcare Happenings, a one digital employer advisory podcast. It's no secret that healthcare is complicated and to prepare for the road ahead, business leaders need transparency and access to information in order to develop the best health benefit strategy. Our team of compliance leaders are here to shed light on the latest developments on the Hill and share their collective vision for ways to improve the healthcare experience. We've been covering the topic of well-being, and in this series, we've explored career well-being. So that meaning, you know, that those things that have meaning and purpose and connection with our work, the environment, the people. We've been speaking about physical well-being, having enough energy to accomplish what we need, what uh, are having enough energy to accomplish what we want to accomplish, you know, whatever that is. And then we covered financial well-being and the ability to manage our money well. So in this week's episode, we have all our, our regulars back, Scott Wham, Samantha Malver, Ron Bergassi, myself, Annette Bechtold. And we're going to cover the fourth in this uh, five-part series on well-being. And today we're going to tackle social well-being. So welcome back um, to our next segment here. So social well-being, when, when you think about what does that really mean, uh, when we talk about social well-being, the definition of is it of it is to have meaningful friendships in our lives. So I, I suppose everybody has a different um, sort of definition. Of what is a friendship? And there's all different levels of friendship. And I, you know, I'm just curious about when you think about ooh, being in a good place socially. Well, I mean, what does that mean to different people? I'd love to just get your thoughts on like to you, what does that mean? My social well-being being around people comes from what? What do you think, Sam? <laughs> Such a hard question, Adam. <laughs> uh, I feel like, yeah, like social well-being just kind of, I think it's different for everyone. For me, it's usually having a more intimate, smaller group that I like to be, you know, more open, uh, willing to expose myself and be comfortable talking about kind of those you know, more personal things, as whereas I think other people may gravitate to a larger group or a greater social setting and thrive in those environments. So from my perspective, it's someone to be able to have that deeper conversation that they intimately know me and I them and just feel comfortable being really who you are truly in front of that person. Awesome. Yeah. Other thoughts? Thanks. I've always bifurcated it between work-related friends and non-work-related friends. And it's not that there, I have a bias towards either one, but, but I think people don't realize how much work can stimulate friendships in a very easy, constructive way because of the common location generally. Uh, it pulls you together. You have break times where you talk to people and you develop nice relationships. But like anything else in our life, in terms of balance between work and pleasure, I think I think we all have to be careful that we don't overweight on the work side, because in the event that you either leave your work or work leaves you, then it's not that people don't care and that they're not true friends. It's they lose that ease of connection and it becomes more difficult over time. 
And I remember a company that we sold in D.C. had a really brilliant, uh, almost a philosopher, Saul Eskenazi. <laughs> and I, I said, you know, Saul, I'd like to keep up with you and stuff. And he said, I hope Saul, I hope Saul's listening to this. I do, too. I do, too. <laughs> I'm that. Yeah. <laughs> I always remembered his name, but he said, you know, Ron, I'd love to keep up, too. He said, you know, but we never seem to. And and I think, it, again, it wasn't that we, we weren't close to each other. It's that circumstances weren't going to reinforce it. So that, that would be my just general peripheral comment about balance everything and balance the work and the friendships between those two things. Yeah. Go ahead, Scott. Yeah, no, I, I think that um, – my personality and just who I am, it's, it's tough for me to spend all day with people and not, and not try to get to know them and and have, have a relationship. I can't even imagine the alternative. Whereas my wife is somebody who is very good at drawing the work. Work is work. Friendships are outside of work. You know, that's, that's her, that's, that's the way she operates. Um, but, you know, Ron just made a really interesting point. I look back on on the jobs I've had where I have always tended to be friendly with the people I work with and, uh, and, and, and develop friendships. But when you move on, it is difficult maintaining that relationship. Uh, and, you know, I, I think back to people I used to spend, all, you know, 80 hours a week with at the law firm. And, and, you know, we were buds and we rarely talk anymore. You know, life just has moved on and, and, and we're not, not really in contact anymore. But I, I think that I wouldn't be at the same, working with the same people I've been working with for almost 10 years now, if I didn't have that interaction, that support in work. But I, I but that my core friends outside of work are life, lifelong friends. They're incredibly important to me, much smaller group, uh, the Sam's point. But, uh, but I, I, I like having that balance of the, of the friends outside of work and the friends in work and, and, and they're all very important to me. So. Well, you know, it's, it's, uh, you guys bring up something really good, you know, proximity and the amount of time you spend lends to things relevant and in common in the present, right? So those those get you to to interact uh, more often. You're doing that all day long. We have something in common, which is work. So I always say work is the weirdest environment ever, right? It's a bunch of strangers that are thrown together that have to somehow coexist and actually work together towards something. So you're thrown into this environment where... Um, getting along is better than not getting along with each other because, because it makes your days go a lot better. Um, and by virtue of the fact that we spend so much time, you can't help but get to know people. And then you find similarities and you can find common threads and common thinking people and, and all those things are great. But when you extricate to Ron's point, you extricate work, which was the catalyst for that whole event. That's it's, it's hard to maintain that. Now, sometimes you do, but most often you don't, but think of people, many people don't have the long time childhood friends. They can think of hundreds and hundreds of people over the years, their developmental years from the time you're small kids in the neighborhood through your teens, through your college years, people you don't keep up with anymore, but some you do. So the question is, is it really work or is it the quality of those relationships? So I think, uh, you know, and, and, and whether or not you're really sort of, um, uh, 
meant to be together and that you're additive to each other's lives beyond just workplace fundamentals or, or the yeah. workplace. And that I think you hit the nail on the head. If I was trying to understand what we're talking about right now, I would think in terms of our social evolution from grammar school to high school to college to work. And, and then the microcosm is probably very much like an unexpected retirement. So you, you just want to be prepared. <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually, that's such a great thing. I look back on my my dad, who um, the kids grew up with in grammar school. They remained friends for their entire lives, and they did. We did stuff together as families. And these are the kids, like in, in the forties, and on the playground that he he grew up with. Um, that they stayed friends their entire life and 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 did things together, extended family stuff, we had picnics, we we knew them. I still talk to their kids and 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 some of that group that are still with us, you know, they're still family friends, et cetera. So it's amazing to see something like that, but that isn't necessarily as common. I have childhood friends who, are, who remain my friends. And then I have other people like no, not so much, you know. So, yeah, it's really interesting to think about those dynamics. So, when we think about the well-being piece, it's yeah. this um, need to have these meaningful friendships in our lives. And so, a statistic I, I found that was pretty interesting from Gallup was that one in four people say that friends and family, they can only only one in four strongly agree with the statement that friends and family give them positive energy every day. Well, so think about that, right? Now, I was going to bring up one other, I guess, minor point. And mm-hmm. th- there are people that are friends, but then friends can become forums for destructive conversations and they can become chronic and then they turn in, they can still be friends, but they can, they may not contribute to a positive uh, lifestyle. Right. Exactly. I think there's a lot to that. I I, I think that from a, from a business perspective, um, one of the things that, that I think we're all fairly concerned about, especially over the past couple years are those coworkers that we share space with who maybe have lost family members or have um, lost friends, uh, or maybe just uh, are not terribly social people uh, uh, or, or um, are not as comfortable uh, being social, who have in some ways lost the connectivity they had in the office. Uh, you know, we didn't have the in-person happy hours or lunch outings or our team building in-person in team building events over the past year and a half or so um, to where, you know, I, I am concerned about some of the people I work with and whether they are lonely or whether they uh, feel supported. And it's something that we work really hard to keep our finger on the pulse with. Um, so on the flip side, I, you know, I, I'm worried about individuals in, that, I, that I share uh, a common mission with who may not feel like they're as connected right now and being aware of how can we bring people back in the fold? How can we get them connected again um, to the extent that they want to be? Uh, uh, but, but it's something that it's a, it's a challenge. I think that the last year and a half has been very hard for lonely people, you know? 
So, yeah, I think the key yeah. too, that's good, Scott. And I think the key too is, okay, you can have a lot of acquaintances or a lot of people and you can have social interaction, but if it's not supportive or positive interaction, then I venture to say it's more destructive than having the interaction. But then Scott's comments just say that, you know, I guess there are two ways to look at that. We're looking at terms of how the friends you know, are supportive to you. But Scott's point is exactly the same, that you want to be a positive input to whatever the community is. And I, I guess to put a label on the individuals that we all want to avoid being or avoid associating with or what we would call, uh, I guess, emotional vampires, where they just, you know, they <laughs> suck the life out of you, right? Yes. Yeah, that, uh, very true. Um, they talk about uh, in the studies and in the data that they gathered, gathered about thriving people with this social well-being. There were a couple of uh, statistics that stood out to me. Of, you know, what, um, you know, and, and everybody's different, right? Some people are good with few, very few friends or just a cl- couple of close-knit that like you guys are talking about. And um but how many is like how many is sufficient or how much interaction is sufficient? So here's a couple of things that they found. They said that about six hours of in-person personal interaction is what people most what most people need. Now it could be more or less depending on the person or whatever, but about six hours a day, if you think about that. And then about three, and you know, most people who have about three to four really good personal relationships, Sam, like you were talking about, um, they end up being healthier, have higher well-being scores, and they're more engaged in their jobs. Conversely, people who don't um, are more likely to experience loneliness and depression. So I thought those are pretty interesting statistics when you think six hours a day. So... Now, six hours might put me on the depressed end. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe you're on the less. More or less, you're on the less side round. One in six six hours a year. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so. Um, They did go to say that. Um, the type of interaction makes a difference, though, too. So this is, a, a, I think, an important piece. And what I was most interested in finding out was, you know, just think about how interactions changed, right? We remember, um, uh, or at least uh, maybe I shall only speak from Ron and I remember when all it was was in person. That nobody worked from home. Like rarely, maybe a salesperson did here or there, but it was like are they coming in this week? Like it was a bad thing, right? If they didn't show up, right? Um, But it was a rarity, right? Everybody showed up to an office, to a workplace. And so everything was in person. We didn't have all the digital technology that there was. And so there was only one type really. You're interacting face-to-face or you're not, or on the telephone, right? So you had those two, just a couple different modes. Now you have all these different ways of interacting. Is there a difference between what counts as meaningful and supportive interaction in those methods? What do you think? You know, it's it's, it's funny. I just I, I just went on a, uh, a a trip for my brother's fortieth birthday, 
And the people who were on that trip with me are, are extent. I consider them extended family. I have one brother, but these were maybe five other brothers, the kids from the cul-de-sac, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the kids, the kids I played street hockey with every day in the cul-de-sac when I was, when I was a kid, we never text. We don't text. Um, my, the people who text me the most go down outside of my wife, go down in importance in my life. Um, uh, we don't text with each other. We, when we, ha- we hang out once every other month, we all get together, you know, in normal time, we have the best time ever. And it's like, we never miss the beat, but we, we don't interact digitally. Uh, and, 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 and it's really nice. I mean, it's, it's, it's really nice. I am somebody who does not like interacting on mask via text. I, I crave that, that the real thing and I'm okay going periods of time without, without interaction. I am. In fact, I, I like that. I like, I like going periods of time without any interaction. So, so absence so. makes the heart grow fonder. Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> It it makes the time. We have so much to talk about. There's so much to catch up on. We have the best time ever. It's like we never miss the beat, you know. So, well, I was going to say that to me, they sort of self-identify over time, and and they become somewhat either disingenuous or you can tell whether somebody is uh, is really interested and has the same values and principles you do. That doesn't mean that somebody has different values, you know, in uh, sincere. But uh, for me, over time, they just self-identify. Mm-hmm. Where, where, like, like you say with Scott, where uh, you know, if I get a text message and I'm one of sixty close friends, then I may not have the same reaction if I get a call from somebody. <laughs> One of 60 close friends. Yes, Mm -hmm. I like it. Um, I thought it was pretty interesting. They did say that um, all interaction types will boost your mood, typically, with the exception of technology, uh, technological, such as texting and social media. They... um, the mood drops after it drops significantly after moderate levels of doing so where you don't get that on the in-person side. And I thought that was a very interesting distinction. So people who are very technologically focused for all of their social interaction, it ends up becoming a detriment. It doesn't improve mood. It actually does not improve this social well-being. So they found that um, found that very specifically. I mean, it's something I think we've talked about and said, speculated on, but it was interesting to find that it is a thing, right? There is a difference in that time. So that while it might be good for short bursts or little things, but over a period of time, it actually does the opposite of what it was supposed to do, if, if you think about it that way. I feel like um, it's probably related to like not being able to see facial cues or hearing kind of a change in voice. So like when you're just reading it in black and white, you know, you can't really tell if it's, oh, are they trying to be funny in this? Is it supposed to be more serious? You have to do, I think, a lot more thinking or you just think that they're apathetic. And so it's a lot harder for you probably to actually work in that interaction. Whereas if it's 
a phone call or a video or actually in person, you get those extra cues. Now that's so curious. So I have a question for the group in the context of, of uh, maybe this not being as engaging, having text and so forth. What about when someone sends you a personal picture of something like a grandchild or do you have a different sense about that than you do about a written text? Yeah, I think the purpose of it's different, you yeah. know, like if you're sending a photo to catch up, guaranteed, that's not the only interactions you're having. Right. It is an it, it is an is additive to the conversations you've already had or the conversations you're going to have or in anticipation of seeing each other again or whatever. I guarantee it's probably not because unless it's just the annual Christmas card, it's probably not it's not just a once and done type thing is my guess. But I do think that the photo helps if if you're not able to get together face to face or you're not able to do things of that nature, just like thinking back when, you know, before Internet and all of that kind of stuff and all the technology we have today, you wrote letters like there was nothing. You didn't have anything else. And if a letter came with a picture, oh, that was really like that was cool. Right. It was just uh, an extra way to be a little bit closer. Uh, yeah. you, you all have convinced me uh, not to solely communicate to my wife via text. <laughs> so so it's 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 funny and I wholly acknowledge that I ha- I am a reactionary on this front that I am not normal in my hatred of texting and and just ingratiation generally right like you know teams, I don't think you're abnormal either <laughs> teams teams is something that bothers me at times too you know I have my I have this group that's on this Zoom call that is very important uh, to me and that, you know, I get a lot out of participating with this group, but, but, but the fact that our society has gotten to a point where anyone can come into your life at any second in a variety of me- media, right. And that there's a, there's then this expectation and etiquette that attaches to how quickly you have to adapt and respond can be very draining. It's very, it's very draining and can be very inconsiderate. You know, I it, love that. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I love mean, that, Scott. I'm wondering if that's why this, this, you know, it it only boosts the mood to a certain extent because now it's intrusive, right? Uh, to your point, and it, it steps over the line at some point. Sam knows I. I you're not allowed. I, I, I say this very often to her. So I, there's too many people talking to me in too many ways. I have no idea who to respond to or where anything is anymore. You know, it's well, it's just, it's just I, I love the one digital initiative taking back Tuesdays where we're, where we're trying to c- come up with some space that is, is taken back in the schedule. But the, but the, but you know, when I plan out my day, I, I plan out what I need to accomplish and what needs to be addressed and uh, and and then and then throughout the day, reasonably so, other other things come up and and you have to address those and you have to adapt. But the rate at which other things come up and the w- rate at which you're then attached to someone else's clock is 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 can be very draining and disruptive. And in and in personal relationships too, I can't tell you how many people have been like, I thought you were mad at me because you didn't text me back. I was like, no, I just didn't feel like texting. I, I didn't I, I didn't I didn't feel like picking up my phone and and. 
in, engaging with you. I might have been engaging with somebody else. I might have been hanging out with somebody else. Like, I didn't know you were going to text me. Yeah. There's no value to be added. That's exactly right. And, and also, all this conversation then brings me to the realization that, you know, if we are going to text, let's, let's respect other people's time. In other words, uh, don't, don't email everybody back. 16 people to let somebody know you got the information from one person. <laughs> yeah. That you were, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think you're right. People just don't know what's the right thing or whatever. And it's really interesting how egocentric when you you put it like that, Scott, those are egocentric type things. Why didn't you text me back? It's all about me. It's all about my response. It's all about rather than I'm communicating to you you know, understanding you'll get back to me when you, you have all of that patience or that space is missing. Now we don't have it. We don't understand it. People don't, don't assume any, like you're doing anything, but sitting there waiting at that moment for them to text you. Like how likely is that? Not at all. But that's when you think about it, that's people's expectation when you, you don't respond immediately to that. So, yeah, it's a very interesting time, I think. Kind of moving this, I'd like to move it back to the workplace really quick before we wrap it up today. But um, kind of thinking about, there's a very interesting, you know, we talk about well-being, but this also comes back in the workplace and to our employers as we've been kind of bringing each of the topics back about what it, you know, what engages workers, what's an engaging workplace like, Um how do you have thriving people? And in um, Gallup's work on engagement, one of the questions in their engagement survey and that they've found is significant is, do you have a best friend at work? What are the pros and cons of that? Uh, again, I'm not sure. In the context of the total, it shouldn't be bad. But then if it's 90% of your friendship pool, probably not constructive. All right. I can say from like kind of a con perspective is that if you like are really close to kind of your work friends, um, but you hate the job, it's a lot, maybe a little bit harder for you to personally leave because you're like, now I have to start all over at a new job. I have to make all new friends. There's that, you know, uncomfortableness of leaving, you know, that comfort zone of having those friends there. And I know, Ron, you're saying, like, you don't want your work friends to be your only friends. But sometimes people don't have a lot of stuff outside of work. Like, that's what they do. They go to work and they go home. So maybe from, like, their high school or college or elementary, they have, like, a limited group of friends that have stuck around. But, you know, it's hard, I think, these days to try to make new friends outside of, you know, kind of those events or works that you're involved in. So especially if there's not these Sam, what a great point, especially if there's not these opportunities to meet face to face, which is where you really get to meet and know people. If everything's digital, like how do you meet people? And if only one in four saying the people closest to them actually are a positive influence. Maybe work is their only positive influence people. And so they're like escaping everybody else. Like there's all of these things I start to think about in these dynamics. Um, you know, 
years ago, it was it was really taboo to to have any sort of close relationships in the workplace. Agreed. That was really frowned upon uh, because I think the thinking, I don't know, maybe you can add some color here, but I'm thinking the thinking was, oh, if you're if you're kibitzing, basically, you're not doing your job. If you're not um, yeah, you're screwed you know, around, you're messing around. Exactly, you're not focused on, you're not doing yeah. work, et cetera, right? Yeah. Um, and so, or there could be really messy personal situations that arise when now you're no longer friends or you're no longer together or whatever. So it created a lot of that kind of taboo. But interestingly enough, what they've found is that friendships actually increase speed and efficiency. So people second guess their coworkers less uh, because they know them better. They and they second guess their motives and intentions less because they know them. Right. And so they have more transparent conversations. And as a result, they're moving forward together better than really kind of being skeptical of one another and sort of trying to go it on their own. And so they find that, you know, team productivity actually increases. Um, so I don't know what your thoughts. Are. Yeah. So, so I, you know, I think it's, it's interesting because I have a handful of people that I consider very good friends at work um, that, you know, we work closely together. We, 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 we cooperate. Our jobs are very different, which I think helps. Um, I've never had the experience of, a best friend at work who's doing the same job I'm doing, which I could see, I could see issues, right. Mm -hmm. Where Mm -hmm. someone's going to get promoted at some point, you know, somebody's going to, somebody's going to be having a bad day and it can drain you and it, and, and, and you might have a bad day and you might drain them. But I will say that, you know, uh, I I would consider my boss to be a friend at this point, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. the person I directly report to, and I will say, you know, the apprehension that maybe that makes money talking about, your, you know, compensation different, difficult or performance difficult. But I, in my experience, anecdotally, it's been a help where if if there's something that needs to be addressed, there's a credibility because I know that ultimately my best interest is at heart. Um, yeah. and, and, and that there's a trust factor that's there, but it's not for everyone. I would say it's, it's, that's, that's not going to be for everyone. It's not going to work for everyone. Um, and I can see pitfalls and perils going down that road. But, uh, I, I think just in my anecdotal experience, I've, I've been able to make it work because I'm not, I'm not in competition. I'm not, we're, we're trying to pull the same sled. We're not doing the yeah. same job. And, uh, and, and, and ultimately that trust factor being there that we have each other's best interests at heart makes it work. You know, yeah, that's a, those are good. Those are good points, Scott. I think you're right about, you know, I think that comes to the mentality of, you know, I can do it all myself or no, it takes all of us together to make the whole thing go. And, and, and so as a result, if we have the ability and the comfort and the acceptance to say, Hey, I'm good at some things and not others. And that together we're a better group. You tend to relax a little bit and get to know if I'm in competition with you all the time, then I'm always wary and skeptical. So I think those are really good points that you make about that climate is important. And it also drives the type of connection that we're going to have in the workplace. Right. Yeah. 
Good points. Any other closing thoughts? I've got just a couple of th- takeaways. Any takeaways for employers that you want to think about when, want, or want to encourage them to think about in their workplace? When you think about this need for people to have connections, the six hours a day, which the workplace might be the only place for that, or um, and having meaningful friendships in your life. Any thoughts for employers? It kind of blends a little bit with the career well-being that we talked about earlier, you know, making sure that people feel seen, they're appreciated, they're valued at the workplace. So, if, you know, from an employer perspective, they do kind of encourage maybe, I don't know how you do them anymore, but, you know, like the social happy hours, like you said, Scott, or the lunch and learn type deal, being able to kind of get out of the corporate environment and like meet people and talk with them on a more one-to-one level. It allows you to be more authentic and feel valued within, you know, the company and then in turn, hopefully be more productive. Great. Awesome. Thanks, Sam. What else? Ron, you were going to say? Probably very close to what Sam was saying. And, and, you know, if you're an employer, you need to create an environment that allows the building of, of constructive relationships. Yeah. 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 Well, you can't force people to become friends, obviously. Right. No, no kidding. You, you can set the tone and that climate of, am I pitting people against each other just by the systems and the measurements and the things that I put in place? Or am I truly getting people to appreciate each other and to create these meaningful connections and relationships with each other in the vein of, of, achieving something great, uh, you know, for the business overall and for the customers or whoever, whoever that business serves. Yeah. I think that's a, a great point. Um, any, anything else? Yeah. I, I mean, I think, I think it's important to keep your pulse on whether any of your employees are feeling isolated right now, especially if they're still working virtually and, and whether they have a sense of connectivity to the workplace, you're not, you know, I don't know that you fix their social life and their connectivity outside the workplace. I don't think that's really possible. Uh, but, but having your pulse on the, whether somebody may not feel as connected, um, right now, uh, which can certainly impact mental health and productivity and ultimately, you know, your health plan and all the other all the other things that uh, that come into the purview of the business, but also accepting that in a lot of positions now they're collaborative. Uh, it, it is it's it's not siloed. Um, maybe the way it has been historically, you know, there's more collaboration. So um, the, having meaningful relationships on the work site can perhaps enhance that collaboration at times, uh, and 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 it may it may not be something to fear. Like it was, you know, back 15, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever, whatever it may be. So, um, yeah, that's good. Thanks. That, that's good. And and just tagging on a little bit for employers thinking about that workplace, I guess a couple of takeaways here, just do a quick assessment to you know, on the engagement side, do your people like showing up every day? Are they motivated to come to come in, to be on time, to be there? What how do they how do they show up? Kind of look at that. And then are they willing to to work together towards something? And do they like doing that? Does that feel comfortable? Is that comfortable in the workplace? And um you know, do they genuinely keep, feel that people care about them there? I think those kind of would be good temperatures to take at this point. 
So thanks, everybody. Thanks for joining us. And join us next time. We'll talk about the final part in this series, which will be will be community well-being. So look forward to next time. Thanks. And thank you all for tuning in. Staying on top of compliance today can be the source of great concern and frustration. Our dedicated team of attorneys and experts look around the corner on your behalf and deliver the tools, education, and resources needed to help you plan for the future and protect your employees and business every day. You can access additional resources, employer advisory sessions, and podcasts on our website, onedigital.com. Stay safe and healthy, and we'll see you next time.